I uh, started last week on sharing about the uh, spiritual warfare, the, the ministry of all the saints, which is us. And I told you I was going to do an overview, and then in, for a couple of weeks I was going to dig deeper in a couple of places. And I have to apologize because my overview is going to extend beyond last week to this week as well. And then ne- the next couple of weeks we'll, we'll have much more of an application. So uh, while I had every good intention of getting into some more deeper stuff today. Uh, while I was preparing this week, I just all went to something else, and it just kind of got bigger, and I had to re- rearrange. So we're going to say that that's being open to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm not sure it's the Holy Spirit, but it could be, and we'll find out. Turn with me to John chapter 14. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way that people can come into relationship with God. There's a whole lot in the world today that says, oh, there's all kinds of ways. There's different roads that lead up the same mountain to the same place. But either Jesus was totally wrong or... Or he was right. He came from God and he says, I am the only way. But then he says this, I'm the truth. Jesus was the embodiment of truth. And it's important that we understand that. In John 18, over a couple of chapters, in verse 37, Pilate said, therefore, to him, are you the king then? He said, rightly, you say that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, Luke 10.19 says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So did he come to seek and save the lost, or did he come to bear witness to the truth? Yes. Both. Too often we think it's only about dying for our sin, but there was also something else that was happening. It was a reinstating of the truth about why we were created and who we are. Luke 8.32, sorry, John 8.32. I don't know why I said Luke. Most of you would know this, but let me just read it to you. It says... Sorry, I'm going to start in 31. And Jesus said to them, to those Jews who believe him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So Jesus was the embodiment of truth. Jesus said that truth sets us free. He came to bear witness to that truth. But... The devil is a deceiver and a a liar. If you go in that same chapter, John 8, to verse 44, he says, you're of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar 
and the father of lies. See, Jesus, by bringing truth into the planet, set up a conflict. And there has been, through the ages, a battle for truth. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. And so we talked briefly last week about different aspects of spiritual warfare. There is something, the Bible talks about principalities in heavenly places. There's something about people who are demonized and oppressed by the devil. And then there is something else about philosophy or truth that we have a part in standing against. In Timothy, Jesus, uh, Paul writing in Timothy writes about uh, that you might know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, the pillar and ground of truth. So this battle that Jesus started has been delegated to the church, his disciples. That's us. We are the pillar and ground of truth. Let me tell you, it's not theologians who are the pillar and ground of truth. It's not scholars. It's the church. The church is people. We are the pillar and ground of truth. We're going to talk a bit more about that next week. But something happened. In this battle, there was a loss of truth. Those of you who know history, there was something that happened where the church became the authority over the word. From about 300 AD to about 1100, almost 1500 AD, the, uh, the church grew in influence in Europe and the belief of the church was that the Pope was equivalent or greater than the Word of God. And so something happened uh, that change in authority led to abuse, deception, bondage. Interesting book I was reading uh, called Revival by a New Zealander had this statement talking about that time, yet it was dangerous to disagree with the clerics. In the 50 years before the Reformation began in 1517, the Spanish Inquisition alone had burned alive 13,000 men, women, and children in the name of the church and had racked, tortured, and thrown into fearful dungeons 175,000 more. When we had a different authority than the word, see, you know the old saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it got so bad that there was actually this attempt to force people to believe certain things and, do, and act certain ways. And if they didn't, they were actually either burned alive, racked, you know what racking is, you know when they tie your hands and feet and then they stretch out and uh, just thought of that. It's terrible. Yet, that became so bad that in about the 14-1500s, there began to be a breaking away from this authority. Okay, most of you would know this in history. In the northern part of Europe, it was called the Reformation. 
But in the southern part of Europe, it was called the Renaissance. Both were breaking away from this abusive authority of the church. In the north, the Reformation was a return to the authority of Scripture. In the south, it was a return to pre-Christian Greek philosophy. And so we're going to get to that next week. Just put that on the side because that we think, okay, that was... 500 years ago, 600 years ago, that doesn't matter. But that, the Renaissance led to an, a, a belief, Greek philosophy that is the foundation for Western culture. Our whole culture is based on that belief. So we actually are still in a battle for truth. The truth of the word, Jesus, who is the truth, or something else. Just hang with me for a little bit, okay? But I want you to understand something. With Luther and the Reformation, God began to restore truth that had been lost to his church. And so we live in a time of restoration. Much of of what we're seeing God restore was lost during those dark ages from about 300 to uh, 1400 A.D. Uh, But something happened. Each group that God used to reveal truth to would tend to identify themselves with that truth. And then when God wanted to reveal other truth, he often had to find another group of people because the people had identified themselves with a particular truth and said, this is who we are. I want to give you some examples. Uh, Before I do that, let me just say this. Those who who were actually following the Holy Spirit, who were were receiving this revelation and, and understanding the authority of the Word, were often persecuted by those who went before them, but almost without exclusion, they went from being the persecuted to being the persecutors. When God found someone else because they would, they had settled and they wouldn't respond to the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, they became the persecutors of the next revelation. So it starts with uh, Martin Luther. And the truth that God was revealing again to the, the church was justification by faith alone. Pretty common. We all we're all part of the Reformation heritage. We're that part of the church. And we believe that it's we're justified by what Jesus has done. By faith in Jesus, not by our works. It's not faith and something else. It's not what Jesus did and if I have to do certain things. See, that's religion. It adds something to what Jesus has done. Or in many places, it adds something before what Jesus has done. You can get saved with Jesus, but you have to do this. You have to change this in your life, and you have to do this first. And you have to, if, if you become a better person, then Jesus will, Jesus' death will atone for you. Or you accept Jesus, but once you get saved, now you have to actually add all this other stuff. You got saved, but now you have to do this. So you got saved. Jesus, Jesus was sufficient, but now you actually have to become very disciplined. You have to read the Bible every day. You have to pray 10 times a week or whatever it is. We add all these things, and that's really what religion is. 
But the truth that was restored is that we're saved by faith alone. But the Catholics called these guys who believed this the followers of Luther or Lutherans. And they took that as a name and an identity and camped around it. So then God begins to reveal another truth, the baptism by immersion of believers. A couple of people named Grebel and Mance, they were, became known as the re-baptizers. See, the church baptized infants, but the Bible talks about baptism as being a dying to ourself as we follow Jesus. It represents going under the water by immersion, represents being buried with Christ and rising to a new life which is done by believers, not by someone on behalf of someone else. And so they became known as the rebaptizers or the Anabaptists, which became forerunners to the Baptists, the Quakers, the Mennonites, the Brethren. Problem was that they were persecuted by not only Catholics, but by the Lutherans who had broken away from the Catholic Church, but they'd taken a step and they camped there and said, this is enough. And God says, no, no, there's more truth that was lost in the dark ages I want to restore. He had to find another group of people. So then there was a, another group. God began to restore truth of, of leadership by elders in the church. These guys called that a presbytery, which is Greek word for elders, and it was a team. And what did they become known as? Presbyterians. Exactly. You guys are catching on. They were persecuted by not just the Catholics and the Lutherans, but by the Anabaptists. Are you getting the picture? Everybody has this revelation that it comes from God and his word, but then they camp around it. They identify themselves with it. And when God wants to restore more truth, he's got to find another group of people. So then you get God restoring something about holiness, being doers of the word, a guy named John Wesley. They were called Methodists because they had a method for applying the word and becoming holy. that The term was derogatory. How many of you have a Methodist background or know of Methodists? Okay. That, how many of you knew that that was a derogatory term? It was because they were, by everyone else, saw them as being very methodical in their approach. And so they were called Methodists, and pretty soon they took that as their name. And they were persecuted by the Catholics, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, the Church of England. Then we come to another generation in the early 1900s and God's restoring something about the truth of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We, I look at Azusa Street and a revival that took place in Azusa Street in Los Angeles. It was, had begun probably 10 years before that in other places. But that's what we identify and... Those guys who believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit were called, derogatorily, called Pentecostals. 
and it became a negative term. And they were persecuted by all the other denominations because they were considered weird. So what they were saying is the truth that we have, there's more. There's more. But everyone had settled down. And then we get to the middle part of the 1900s, and there's a God, again, restoring something of the truth about the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And that word gifts in Greek is charisma. And so they were called charismatics. It was the charismatic movement that began in the middle of the 1960s. And it was, again, a derogatory term, but many took that and, and called themselves charismatics, and they were persecuted not only by the denominations, but by the Pentecostals. What does that mean? It means I think God is looking for a new breed of people, a new breed of believers. Not just a new generation, of people who are balanced based on the Word and led by the Spirit of people who grow in character but are also empowered by the Holy Spirit. A new breed whose identity is in God alone. See, what happened is people's identity became a particular truth or a particular emphasis. And they identified themselves with that and they said, I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a charismatic or whatever it is. I think God's looking for people who will make their identity in Jesus alone. So that when he wants to reveal truth, restore truth, this is not, there's nothing new. It's not new truth. It's just truth that has been lost. He's restoring what had been lost through the dark ages. He's looking for people that when he wants to restore new truth, he doesn't have to go find another group of people. We have people who will continue to move as he moves. You know the the story in the Old Testament of when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were traveling together and God went before them. And in the nighttime, there was a pillar of fire and in, in the daytime, there was a cloud. And they would follow the cloud. And it says, if you read in in Exodus, they would camp. And when the cloud moved, they would move. They would camp. Whether it was a day or or a week or, or a month, they moved when the cloud moved. Now, can you imagine someone who gets tired of all this moving? And they say, okay, cloud's moving. Everyone's moving, but I'm staying here. I'm going to stay camped because I actually like this place. This is comfortable. I'm used to it. I don't, you know, I get tired of just going to a new place and having to set up camp every time. So I'm going to stay here. Now, what do they say to the people who are moving? They say, you're leaving us. Why are you leaving us? No, we're not leaving you. We're following the cloud. You're leaving us by refusing to continue to move when God's moving. That brings us to the the obvious question, and I know that you're dying to ask it. What is God restoring today? See, we're still in the process of restoration. We don't have it all. 
So we're still in the process of, of restoration. What is God restoring today? I want to tell you, I think what God is restoring today is the kingdom of priests. What that means is a people equipped and empowered to partner with Jesus to extend his kingdom. Every believer. Now, in order to do that, there's a whole lot of other things he has to do. Sorry, I keep standing on your... I'm going to break this thing. Huh? Move it out of there. See, if everyone's going to be a minister then everyone has to have relationship with Jesus. That was one of the very first things the Reformation addressed. See, the church at that point said, you can't have relationship with God directly. You have to go through somebody else. So your confession was made to a priest who then would intercede to God on your behalf rather than you have relationship with Jesus. You couldn't read the Bible. They had to tell you what it said. And they didn't want you to read the Bible. Because then you'd find out that the Bible said something different than what the Pope was saying. And there were a lot of guys who gave their lives so that we could have the Bible. So if everyone is a minister, first and foremost, it means we have to have a relationship with Jesus. We have to be able to hear his voice. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. All the things that have been restored have been leading us to this point where God's wanting to equip and release and empower a whole army of believers. If we're going to be a kingdom of priests, we have to know our identity is in God, not in a particular truth or an emphasis. So the identity and authority that we have in Christ, something that has been an emphasis over the last 20 years, who are we in Jesus? Where does our value come from? Where does our identity come from? We're going to address some of this next week. But there's something that we need to understand that it wasn't bad people who camped around a certain truth. They had some revelation. God was restoring something that had been lost, but they identified with that, and then they camped around that, and then when God wanted to do something else, he had to go find another people because they were unwilling, so much so that not only had they endured persecution for this truth, they now became the persecutors of the next thing. What does that mean? As God reveals truth of being a kingdom of priests, there will be persecution. I'm not speaking negatively. I'm just letting you know that that's what's happened historically. I'll pray that it isn't, but I expect it will be. See, there is something about having a ministry that nobody else can do that leads to job security. I have a friend, and he, and he calls it preaching for job security. There's a way of communicating that makes it aware that nobody else can do this but me. It's I have special faith, or I have a special relationship with God or something. And so we all just sit there and go, wow, I wish I could be like that. But we know we can't. Okay. And it's, it's focusing on a ministry rather than equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Because in some places, we were talking last night, but in the States, there's a lot of money that can be involved in having a special place, celebrity status in ministry. Lots of money. 
In fact, we have people who are Christian celebrities. They have their own private jets and they make millions and millions of dollars. And, and when, when they come into a place, they expect people to honor them. I was telling someone last night that there was a person who has a ministry in the States. I won't tell you who it is because you probably know the name, but they come to Australia and were going into church and they sent an advanced team to prepare the church. Now, what they, the preparation was this. The, uh, the, the pastor, we would call him pastor, he said, he's a bishop and he's always addressed as bishop. His wife is the first lady and she's always addressed as the first lady. They will come in after the service has started. The front row will be kept free for them. When they come in, everyone will stand up to honor them. All in the concept of honor. We'll talk about that too in the next week or so. But Jesus said this. I don't get honor from men, but from God. Jesus said this, if you serve me, my Father will honor you. But there's something about putting an emphasis on honor that is feathering your own nest. It's preaching for job security. If I make this interest about honor and let you know that somehow I'm different than you are because I'm some special ministry, and you better honor the ministry because if you do, then you receive something. If I do that, it's, it's actually preaching for job security. You're going to need me. But the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry is actually giving up job security. So I'm not Pastor Russ. I'm Russ. Okay, there's no title. Titles came in to make a separation between the clergy and the laity, which is a unbiblical term. Okay? In uh, Ephesians, sorry, the church at Ephesus in Revelation, Jesus addresses and it says all this thing. They've lost their first love for Jesus, but this he, they've done well. They've withstood the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And scholars have found that there's no group of people called Nicolaitans. But if you look at that word in the Greek, it's a, a combination of two words, which Nico meaning conquering and Laetans meaning people. You've withstood this conquering the people, this separation, this clergy and laity separation. There isn't a clergy and laity separation. We're all laity. We're all saints. What is God restoring? He's restoring something of a kingdom of priests. To do that, that requires a new wineskin. Jesus said you don't put new wine in old wineskins. Every time there has been a restoration of truth, there has to have been a new wineskin, a new leadership model, a new structure that would allow that to remain. New wineskin is a leadership that's facilitating, not controlling. It's a leadership that's releasing and not restricting. If I'm worried about job security, I'm not going to do that. I want to tell you, I'm not worried about job security. I'd love to retire. <laughs> I'm here because I'm not worried about job security. I had a really secure job, and God began to speak to us about planning a church here. Why? Because he's wanting to see a kingdom of priests, people equipped, 
moving in, doing the things. Jesus said, those who believe in me will do the works that I do and even greater works. He didn't say leaders who believe in me. He didn't say special anointed. He said people who believe, believers, that's us. We have this wonderful thing. So we are part of what God is doing. And that's why we need to understand that there is a warfare that goes on for truth, but also to overcome the enemy. John Wimber said at one point, only about 1% of people that they ministered to were actually demonized. Now, there's deliverance ministries that say everyone has multiple demons and, and they have to get get free, and they're the only ones who know we did this in California. We had some people come in, and they had this deliverance ministry. wasn't equipping. Jesus gave gifts to the church for, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It was a ministry. But it was very, very subjective. They determined who had demons, and they determined they had the ability to pray for them, and they determined when they were free. Very subjective. And their belief was that everyone had demons. Job security. They're teaching for job security. We will face people who are demonized. And we have authority in Christ. Okay? But not just because you have gone to some seminary. See, it doesn't say those who have gone to seminary will have authority in Christ. Those who have right doctrine will have authority in Christ. Those who follow through a denomination's training will have authority. It says believers. That's us. I'm, I know I'm getting passionate. I'm getting excited here because please forgive me. Uh, I, I definitely don't need a mic today because we're all so close. But there's something for us to realize. The first lie of the enemy is that God can't use you. And that's been perpetrated throughout history. It's been perpetrated in the church today. It's been perpetrated by good people who have been trained that they are separate, they're, they're different, they're better, uh, they have more faith. It's a lie of the devil. The truth is that God is greater He's big enough to use anyone. He used a donkey to speak to, who was the guy? Balaam. He used a donkey to speak to Balaam. I want to tell you, if he can use a donkey, he can use you. Yet we get so focused on what would disqualify us. I'm not holy enough. I don't pray enough. I had a... uh, negative thought about somebody this week. And the devil comes in and says, see, God can't use you. But you know what happens? The focus is not on God, it's on us. God's so limited that he can only use really perfect vessels, people who know enough, who have been taught enough, who are holy enough, who fast enough, You probably didn't fast enough this week. I want to tell you, you did not fast enough this week. But you know what? You don't have to. That's not what qualifies us. Jesus qualifies us. And so God says, in Christ, you're qualified. 
But the devil says, no, it's something else. And we believe that. And then we say, oh, well, let someone else do it. Let the professionals. Oh, well, I'm not a professional. I didn't go to seminary. You know what the Bible actually says? It says knowledge puffs up. That's what it says. God gives grace to the humble, but knowledge leads to pride. God's opposed to the proud. So those who go to seminary and get knowledge have a greater difficulty to remain humble and acknowledge their dependence on God than people who don't. So you actually have an advantage over those guys. See, the danger always is that when God uses us, we tend to think it's been something to do with us. It's my holiness, or it's my faith, or it's my something. It's my education, or it's my something, and we think it's us. And then just a little bit. We know we can't take the glory from God, but we just get cut a little corner off and keep it. Right? Only Jesus gets glory. And the pastor who had a lot of education gets a little bit. Or because he's, we need to give him honor. Or the person who prayed for somebody and they got healed. Sure, Jesus healed them, but it was Steve's faith. So it's Jesus and Steve. Jesus gets the majority of the glory, but we're going to make sure Steve gets a little bit. And the problem is we do that enough and it's almost impossible to continue in a place where God can pour out his grace. He gives grace to the humble. But pride is in and we actually think it's us. We need to set in our hearts, no matter what God does through us, it's not us. It's him. And he gets all the glory. He says he'll share his glory with no, no one. Yet there's this subtle thing in our culture, this celebrity thing that says, okay, it's, this is someone special. This guy has a special ability to hear God. Well, if he does, he should be equipping the saints. That's what Jesus said he gave gifts to the church to do. Not to have a special ministry where people then send him lots of money. Jesus actually said this, freely you received, freely give. Well, what about that one? So you understand, there's a whole lot of things. In order to see a kingdom of priests restored, the truth restored, there's a whole lot of other things that God has to bring in order as well. There's a whole lot of mindsets that got to be adjusted and changed. You don't need to worry about those. You need to worry about this. Jesus wants to use you to extend his kingdom. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, the very works that I do, you'll do, and even greater. I don't know what greater works. Actually, I do. A lot of people argue, what greater works? Jesus raised people from the dead. That's, that's pretty good. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised people from the How much greater does it get? I want to tell you how much greater. We actually get to share the gospel of the kingdom and people's souls, spirits can be born again, which is eternal. 
Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but he died again. He, he didn't live forever. What's the greater work? We get to share the gospel and people can get born again for eternity. It doesn't get any better than that. And we get to do that. Greater works. Every single one of us. Okay, I'm, I'm, now you understand why I got a little bit sidetracked from where I was going. We're going to get there next week. We're going to talk about, uh, the identity the culture puts on us as opposed to the, the truth of the word. Uh, we're going to talk about some of those things and then we're actually going to get into the authority that we have in Christ. Kingdom authority. Which is what I thought we'd get to today. And so I have to admit that that's why I had to start by asking you to, to forgive me. Would you bow your head for a moment? Again, it's, no, it's not spiritual to bow your head. It's just you're not distracted by other people. The Bible is very clear that we hear the word, and if our hearts aren't opened, it never germinates. That's easy to understand. But it also says that for some, it germinates. But the cares of the world, the thistles and the thorns grow up around it and choke it out and it never bears fruit. I've learned that we can hear truth and if we don't take a, a chance to respond to it, we leave and we go to lunch and we have other things and we catch up with family and three weeks from now we say, well, what was that that, that he said? I know that God was speaking something to me then. But it gets choked out. So I want to take a moment. I want to ask you, do you believe that God's great enough to use you to extend his kingdom? In order to believe that, you've got to get your eyes off of you and onto him. Or have you been deceived by the ruler of this world that says God can't use you. He can use some celebrity minister, but he can't use you. If that's the case, you just need to tear down that stronghold right now and say, I reject that lie. I choose to put my eyes off of myself and onto the greatness of God, the, who the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain. He's more than able to use me. If he had to limit who he used to perfect people, the only one who would ever be used by God would be Jesus. No matter what anointed, trained ministers would have you believe, they're not perfect. They're just normal people. God wants to use us. So would you just set in your heart, I'm going to be part of God restoring truth that we're a kingdom of priests. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, I'm going to just run something by you real quick, those of you who like statistics. Okay, you're just going to, this is an extra. You're just going to have to, to bear with me for a few moments, those of you who don't. In 100 AD, there were about 200 million people on the planet, and there were about 1 million Christians. So the ratio of Christians to non-Christians was about 200 to 1. Okay, that means for the whole planet to be one, every Christian would have had to reach over 200 people. By uh, the early 1800s, the world population had reached a billion, and that ratio had dropped to 100 to 1. By the early 1900s, the world population had reached 2 billion, and that ratio had dropped to 27 to 1. Today, there's about 7 billion people on the planet, and the ratio of Christians, not Christian religion, Christian believers, to non-Christians is about 5 to 1. The kingdom has been advancing faster than the world population. Jesus said, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The increase. The kingdom's winning. Jesus is winning. Okay, you don't hear about that. And often mission organizations, I was part of one, tells you about the people who haven't heard. You know, there's two, two and a half billion people who've never heard about Jesus. You need to give us money so that we can, can uh, do something. A army of believers equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit only have to reach four or five people. And the whole world is one for Jesus. I don't know about your theology. I'm not sure the whole world's going to be one. I think there's going to be an incredible revival. At the rate of, of increase of the believers to the world population, the world will be one if nothing changes by 2030. That's what the mathematicians say. That's just kind of scary. <laughs> we pray for the, the end to come. Jesus, come. And it actually could be in our lifetime. But can you imagine why God's restoring something of a kingdom of priests, an army of believers who get to be part of seeing people's eternity changed and preparing the bride for Christ, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. We get to be part of that. This is the most exciting time in history to be alive. Over 200,000 people get saved every single day around the world. I've heard people say they want to go back to the book of Acts when 3,000 were added in a day. <laughs> what they actually mean is I want 3,000 people added to my church because it make me look good. 200,000 are added every day around the world. The gathering of people like us today, churches that honor Jesus around the world in the 24-hour period of today, is greater than any other gathering in the history of the planet every week. Greater than people who go to sporting events in every nation for a whole year is the church. Jesus is winning. And the thing is, we get to be a part of it. He's not dependent on us to win. But he says, you get the privilege of being a part and seeing what lives changed. Amen.